Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. Remember to subscribe to the show, go to youtube.com slash techcentral, or uh, if you want to subscribe to our daily newsletter, you can do so at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, a great guest in the studio now, I'm joined by Gawa Lentel, the technology entrepreneur behind one of South Africa's most successful apps, Moya, which provides data-free messaging to data-poor South Africans who otherwise might not be able to afford to communicate. Gawa, it's good to see you. Welcome to the studio. Good to see you again, Duncan. Thank you. Uh, take us through Moya and uh, how it came about. Uh, what were the origins of the app? Uh, the company behind it is called Data Free. Um, take, tell us a bit about Moya and how it's grown over the years. So actually, the uh, uh, correct name of the app is Moya App, mm-hmm. which we've, is the name and brand we've adopted. Okay. And Moya is a Zulu word meaning air or spirit or wind sometimes. Um, the origins of Moya app are a slow realization from living and working here for a few years that South Africans have a very, and I'm, when I say South Africans, I mean the, the whole population, mm-hmm. not you know the, the mainstream market, if you like, have a low propensity to install apps on their phone uh, mostly because there's not much data storage on the average Mm. smartphone device in South Africa. And as we all know, South Africans are, in general, very data cost conscious. Um, You know, there's an affordability challenge about data in South Africa. Most people can actually afford some data. It's just constrained by disposable income and and not, uh, you know, Uh they have to be very careful how they use data. So... Cutting a long story short, we saw an opportunity because the other realization was everyone in South Africa does text messaging, whoever you are, and yeah. the, the app that's been adopted in this market with huge network effect is WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. What we realize is when people run out of data here, which is a common experience for most people at some point or another, even for short periods, it's messaging, text messaging, they miss the most. So we thought, well... Given we can do this data-free thing, which means no data cost to a mobile user to access a digital service, why don't we make messaging, a la WhatsApp, mm-hmm. data-free? So the origins of Moya app were an app that w- in which you can do messaging chat just like WhatsApp, but it's data-free, meaning no data cost to a mobile uh, smartphone user. And best of all, even if they have no airtime data, you c- they can still use Moya app for messaging. Mm-hmm. So that's where it all started three or four years ago now. So it's really a lifeline for people who are data poor. Well, I you know I've it's I kind of take exception to the idea that people are data poor or have no data. Mm-hmm. Most people in South Africa are consumers. They have an income of one sort or another, even if it's small, and they're just very careful with their money. Mm-hmm. So given the option of doing something that everyone does, which is text messaging, um, if they can save data on that and use it for something else or use the money for something else in their lives, it's uh, Mm. got a high value proposition to most people in South Africa. So if you want to save money on text messaging, you can use Moya app, it's data free, and now you can uh, use your data or money for other things that are equally desirable Mm -hmm. in life. And South Africans have taken to this like a duck to water, haven't they? Well, we thought that might happen, and from the get-go of launching it, it just started taking off. Um, it's, we've grown to over 6 million monthly active users in South Africa 
over the last three and a half years, and it's all been viral. People mm -hmm. tell each other. We don't market it. We don't advertise. We don't buy billboards and buy Google ads and all the rest of it. It's just spread through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, WhatsApp has around 25 million active users in South Africa. We now at six, six and a half, so a quarter of the way there. Our goal is to be as big as WhatsApp. Okay. I, I was going to ask is, do you see WhatsApp as your primary competitor? Well, actually, the inspiration for my app may st have started with data-free messaging, mm -hmm. but really the model I most have in mind is WeChat in China, which uh -huh. is a true super app. So right. since launch with Moya app, we've then added content and services in an area we call Discover in the app. So now it's not just messaging. You can read the news, get the weather, get soccer scores, look for jobs, get various education resources, read books, read the Bible, uh, you name it. There's a whole range of content in Moya app. So now it's just, it's more than WhatsApp. Yeah. It's, and of course it's data free. Um, and then much like WeChat in China, we then added Moya Pay, which is a full-fledged high function uh, mobile wallet store of value payments platform inside Moya app. So Moya app is truly it's a super app. Yeah. And not only is it data free messaging, it's got a whole bunch of other stuff that WhatsApp doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to see in the news of late that even Elon Musk is now I was going to ask <laughs> talking <laughs> about super apps and X app or whatever he's going to call yeah. it. And really, we saw the same opportunity in South Africa three or four years ago. And that's what Moya app is. It really okay. is a super app. I want to I want to come back and talk about some of the, the, the services you're offering in there, including the fintech stuff. But um, sure. let's let's just look back at, at perhaps give us an explanation of how this works technically, uh, because at the end of the day, someone has to pay for the data. How, how first of all, technically, do you make this the data free to the end user? And um, who's ultimately paying here? So another part of our business is a data-free B2B software as a service solution to help enterprises make access to their apps, websites, whatever it may be, data-free. So to answer your question, data-free is essentially based on mobile network reverse billing. And what that means is instead of the end user or mobile subscriber paying for data to access something online, it's like toll-free calling, but now it's toll-free data. So oh. the publisher of an app or website can now choose to pay the data uh, for their website or app in, for the aggregate usage of all the people that might come and use their app. Um, so data-free very deliberately is a, a switching of the words free data. We don't give free data mm -hmm. to people to do something. If something's data-free, you don't need data mm -hmm. because someone else is paying for it, the publisher. So in the case of Moya app, we pay the data cost as a starting point for the basic services being messaging and some content. Mm -hmm. And really the business model is, you know, the closest analogy I can make is it's like broadcast media, TV, traditional TV, mm -hmm. um, radio, where a publisher or broadcaster invests in content to put to air, they pay for all that, and in return they monetize the audience. Right. They, they've attract to consuming that content. Of course, in broadcast media, it's, it's predominantly advertising, and advertising is a component of Moya app, but there are multiple other revenue streams. So essentially, we're paying the data cost to build an audience mm -hmm. of mainstream South Africa online, and we monetize that audience in a variety of ways, not just advertising, through businesses, enterprises, 
NGOs, you name it, essentially paying to engage the audience that we built on Moya app. So it's an interesting business model that to my knowledge hasn't been done anywhere else in the world, mm -hmm. let alone in South Africa or the continent. Um, and I think it's really, you know, we're pioneering a new innovation where we pay the data, build an audience, and we monetize the audience. And uh, of course, the aim is to make a profit from doing that. And, and the mobile operators were quite happy to engage with you and to offer the solution to you, or was that also quite a tricky negotiation? No, absolutely. Yeah. They offer reverse billing services. We went to the operators and said, can we be a customer of your enterprise division and pay for data? They said, sure, come on no in. No problem. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, a term that's often used in the industry is zero rating, um, yeah. not least during the COVID period. Uh, some things were zero rated under government mandate for the public good, if you like. So zero rating on mobile networks has been around for decades, but it fundamentally means the mobile network is incurring the data costs mm -hmm. or not charging for data use. And broadly speaking, they don't like it. They, you know, they do it for, for various reasons, maybe a bit of marketing to build the subscribers on their network. They want to be paid for the service they provide, which is delivering uh, data connections. Yeah. So in reverse billing, they're still being paid. It's just changing who pays. Instead of the subscriber, it's a business of some sort mm. who's paying the data. It's, you know, happy days from a mobile network point of view, no right. problem. Okay. So tell, tell me about the journey and how you got here. You, you were born in Zimbabwe, right? But you've, you've, got, um, you've worked around the world. Just tell me a bit about your career history uh, and uh, how you ended up launching Moya App. Well, it's a story. I was, uh, as you say, born and grew up in Zimbabwe. After high school, I left and moved to the UK. I was fortunate, I guess. My father's British, so I had a British passport. I lived in the UK for 12 years, got to university after a while, started my professional career in IT consulting in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of that 12 years, I was working for Pricewaterhouse as an IT consultant. I then transferred to Sydney, Australia with Pricewaterhouse and continued working there and have lived in Sydney, Australia for over 25 years. So, mm -hmm. um, and. I was in the tech industry, obviously, and when the internet came along, I just totally thought this is all I want to do. And I've been working in the internet space since, uh, dare I say it, 1996. So it's approaching whatever this, <laughs> more than 25 years now. Um, after a couple of years of getting into the internet space, a colleague, my co-founder in this business, and I started our first startup to, at the end of the 90s. Rode the dot-com boom. Good time to start. Yeah, <laughs> it was an amazing time. Um, uh, so that startup was successful and was acquired by a New York NASDAQ company. We opened offices in the US and uh, Europe. What did it do? It was an ad-serving technology business. So okay. we we're very early pioneers in what today you would call ad tech. Right. And it's become hugely sophisticated and... Controversial uh, too, yeah. Controversial and complicated with programmatic ad buying and all the rest of it. We were there in the early de days pioneering the idea of uh, ad serving online. Uh, we were acquired by a New York NASDAQ company uh, right at the peak of the dot-com boom. Oh. Um, mostly, I think it was 95% in shares. We were rich on paper and then, you know, the tech wreck started or the dot-com. Did you crash. hang on to those shares? Yeah, most of them. <laughs> There's nothing like the feeling of feeling you're worth, you know, millions of dollars and the, the share price just started tanking and now you're worth half and then half again mm -hmm. and then half again. You weren't alone. And No, no <laughs> I was one of the vast majority. Mm -hmm. And 
you couldn't believe it was happening and you think, no, no, just hang on, it's going to come back. <laughs> the shares we were paid uh, we were paid for that acquisition declined in value 99%. Uh. <laughs> but I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was an yeah. amazing time to be around. Mm. Uh, that early dot-com period um, was like a MBA squashed yeah. into a year of real experience, mm. you know, real-life experience, traveling the world. I always, my story is that we were two men and a dog that in a serviced office in Sydney that started the business and within a year or year and a half, we were being, I was sitting in Wall Street and bankers' offices being pitched by bankers <laughs> to do the, you know, IPO, not IPO, but lead sure. a VC, big VC round. I just had to pinch myself and say, it was a crazy <laughs> how did time. I get here? But I, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously a lot of, you know, big lesson learned the other side sure. of that. Um, the second startup we were involved in was search engine marketing, um, which was actually a good business and grew organically. And it too was acquired by the same company that acquired our first business. And they only survived the dot-com crash by the skin of their teeth. So they were just alive and then growing successfully, they acquired the second business. Um, that was a 50% share, 50% cash deal. And those shares then went up three times in value. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so really, a, a large part of my professional life has been purely internet, um, between and mostly based based in Australia, traveling to the states a lot. Mm -hmm. I've drunk the Silicon Kool Aid many, many times, and been a, you know at the forefront of a lot of the digital innovation of the last twenty five years, and loved it. Mm -hmm. um, this business we started with a completely with a view on the opportunity in emerging developing markets to get uh, you know face up to the challenge of how people get connected online in emerging developing markets, which of course is mostly mobile. And aside from device and software challenges, which largely have been solved by the advent of Android smartphones, but the affordability of data is a worldwide problem in mm. many countries. It's not unique to South Africa. And this idea of reverse billing and data free was a light bulb moment a few years ago to realize that you can completely solve the data affordability challenge by making uh, services data free because someone out the publisher provider is willing to pay the data to get the audience engagement and it's truly transformational because it literally removes completely the brick wall between users who want to be online but can't afford the data and mm. uh, providers of digital services who really want to engage you know, audiences, especially mainstream, and are blocked by that brick wall of data costs. So mm -hmm. data free removes it. Yes. And we've leveraged that idea and the advent of that technology and um, building technology to manage it all then led to the development of Moya app as an opportunity to build a big audience of mainstream South Africans on a digital platform being Moya app. I guess you could have done this in any emerging market. Why did you choose South Africa particularly? Well, good question. I think, first of all, I have heritage here. Sure. I'm having grown up here. My mother's from Cape Town mm -hmm. originally. Um, so I'm familiar with sub-Saharan Africa. It's largely well, English-speaking, if you like, and Anglo culture. And, you know, dare I say that, of course, there's uh, you know, uh, very important indigenous cultures here and African cultures. So yeah. I, I don't want to be <laughs> overplay that one. But it's a lot easier to come and launch this business here than Asia, Indonesia, right. Philippines, Bangladesh, Brazil, 
uh, Argentina. I mean, I have no cultural familiarity, language is a barrier. It just made a lot of sense to, and South Africa is, you know, the largest, or you can debate that economy in, in Africa, mm. and an, a great place to build a business, prove the models, um, you know, bring new technology and innovation, and then use that as a launch pad to not only the rest of the continent, but other regions in the world, which is something we are actively doing, especially for the data-free business. Um, mm. Moya app is very specifically focused on South Africa for now. And Is it only available through the local app stores? Well, we've published it in the app stores, but of course it's available anywhere in the world, so but it's only data-free in, in South, South Africa. Africa. Right, yeah. okay. Um, so which markets will you look at next? Well, for the data-free business, yep. um, potentially any global market where mm. cost of data is a barrier or there are businesses interested to pay the data. Um, ironically, one of the largest companies in Australia in this past year when uh, the CEO who I met at Christmas time in South Africa heard about what we were doing, he said, I want to use this for my 200,000 employees in Australia, okay, if you good. can believe that. Mm. And the rationale is less about the cost of data challenge, it's more employees are expected to, or there's a, you know, the bring your own device model is becoming popular globally, not just laptops, but phones. So if you're an employee going to work for a company, you prefer to use your own phone, your own number, keep that identity if you like. Your employer requires you to use some apps or websites or whatever it may be as a function of your work when you're not in the office. and it's not so much a, I can't afford the data issue, it's why do I have to use my data to do my job? Yeah. So the, the business need is slightly different in a country like Australia. It's just an employer saying, I want my employees to be connected to do their job and I will pay the data. So there's never a question about um, them having to use personal data mm. plans to, and realization is the same logic applies equally in America. So we've suddenly realized actually there's a global true global business opportunity for this idea of data-free in all markets, mm. not just emerging developing markets. But back to Moya app, the critical, critical, critical thing is to build scale of audience in a market to be meaningful in that market in terms of being a platform with large audience that businesses of all kinds would want to use to engage people in South Africa. And unless you've got critical mass, it's not worth doing. So. Mm. We are very focused on building that critical mass in South Africa, building network effect in the platform and being relevant to the, you know, not just the media industry, but industry at large in South Africa because we have mainstream South Africa highly engaged on a digital platform yeah. being Moya app. So, so we're so not really at this stage planning to take it to other markets ourselves. Okay. We have had inquiries from other markets saying, what a great idea, can we do it in Zambia, for example? Yeah. And in that case, we'd rather provide technology and know-how to a local player to invest in building the audience for their market oh, right. with understanding of the mar dynamics of that market. Mm -hmm. um, we're not ready to do that ourselves. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about in the instant messaging market. You spoke about uh, meta platforms and WhatsApp and uh, the fact that they, are, they really are dominant here in South Africa with 25 million active monthly users by your estimations. You're on about six million. Um, you want to get to that sort of WhatsApp figure. Um, it, it always seems to me that um, you, you get an instant messaging uh, product that tends to dominate in a market. So WhatsApp dominates in South Africa. 
uh, line dominates, I think it's in Korea or Japan, um, you tend to find um, one app emerges and then becomes, because of the network effect, starts to dominate. Um, do you expect, do you hope that Moya app will become the dominant app or do you expect it to coexist with WhatsApp or some other product in the market down the line? I fully expect at this stage to coexist. I'm not mm. quite as uh, that ambitious to say we right. will replace it. But mm. um, network effect is a phenomena that's emerged, especially in the online industry over the last 25 years. Uh, actually, I li once listened to a podcast about where this idea of network effect came from or right. who first coined the term and understanding, uh, academic understanding of what it is. There's actually a professor at Stanford University who was not a digital person, but was an economist and he realized that you know in traditional industry if you like you get sure you get economies of scale but you get a declining value of uh, there's an economic expression I can't remember mm -hmm. you know your marginal return for each new thing you make reduces right um, the realization was that when you build marketplaces online and a marketplace is really anything that's being exchanged by the community on that marketplace it could be goods and services products property listings, job listings, or messaging. Mm. If you think about it, a messaging platform is a market where people exchange messages um, in simple terms. A network effect really says the, the more people who are on a marketplace or each new person that comes into the marketplace makes it more valuable for each existing member already in the marketplace. So the more people on a platform such as messaging, the more utility and value it has to everyone who's participating in it. Mm -hmm. um, rather than having to have three messaging apps and work out which one to use for different people, if everyone's on the same, well, then you know that's what we all use. And certainly that's what's happened around the world. So you mentioned Line is Japan, Kakao Talk is South Korea, WeChat is China. Um, I think it's Georgia has, or in Iran. There's some have strange ones that yeah, have popped yeah. up, yeah. But WhatsApp completely mm. dominates uh, emerging developing markets all over the world. It's mm. a sea of green if you, if you put it on a map. And it's built massive network effect. And it's because it's a great product. It actually is a wonderful product. I totally admire the founders and continuing developers of WhatsApp to, for building a fantastic product. And that's its genesis, actually, if you go back to the founders who started it. It has network effect in South Africa. Mm. If you come to live in South Africa, you... you or you need to use WhatsApp to communicate with people. You can't pitch up here and say, hey, everyone, I use Kakao Talk or whatever. <laughs> just like we use, see you later. <laughs> Equally, we can't go to China or South Korea and say, hey, everyone, we use WhatsApp. Yeah. We're just, we're not in the game, right? Yeah. You're not in. You need to adopt what everyone else is using. So WhatsApp certainly has that across the continent and in South Africa. The only way, as has been proved numerous times online, to disrupt any incumbent that has network effect is you've either got to, generally you've got to offer something that's obviously better, mm. you know, strikingly better to even have people consider maybe this, we might all start using this one. You know, one of the best examples of that in real life is eBay back in the day was dominant in many markets around the world mm. for you know, I don't know what you call them, classified list, wasn't classifieds, but a marketplace of people buying and selling products. It's like a car boot sale, but online. Mm. I want to go to the biggest one to sell something because there's more buyers or vice versa. Gumtree came along as a UK-founded company originally and disrupted eBay's market share in many markets 
because it was free. Mm-hmm. So it was a pricing differentiation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that it was better. It was free and eBay wasn't free. Mm. And Gumtree became so successful, eBay bought them in the end. And said, we can't <laughs> take this anymore. We'll own it. Um, not quite a network effect model. Maybe it is. But Google disrupted AltaVista back in the day because mm. it was just much better. Simple as that. Everyone said, no, I'm going here instead of there because it's better. And then they crawled, you know, they got bigger and bigger coverage. We've seen similar things in, in, in messaging, in the instant messaging market in South Africa. I mean, when instant messaging really first took off on mobile, it was a South African-born yep. invention called Mixit, Mix it, um, which was later displaced to some extent by BBM, BlackBerry, uh, which I think didn't go cross-platform quickly enough and then lost out to WhatsApp. Well, Mixit and BlackBerry were maybe neck and neck because Mixit worked on feature phones. This is pre-smartphone right. era, yes. and it was really cheap or free, um, data-free. Yeah, um, not because of reverse billing, but other things. And BlackBerry started getting real traction with their devices, mm. especially in the corporate sector, if you like, or you know the highest. Initially, initially. then it went to the consumer market, and, and yeah, and the yeah. the big thing there was you had unlimited messaging for a month. So right. as long as you had a BlackBerry device, you paid your fifty nine rand a month. I think. Yeah, yeah, and you had unlimited messaging because mm. that was still in the days of SMS, where you paid per message. Yes, um, so that made a lot of sense to people. But the prerequisite was you had to have a BlackBerry device. Yeah. So BlackBerry and Mixit were kind of going on similar paths, but different, on different device platforms. Mm. Um, and then WhatsApp came along. I mean, Mixit arguably, amongst other things, got their smartphone strategy wrong. Mm-hmm. WhatsApp by then was becoming, you know, a thing. It was on, taking off on smartphones specifically. Well, it actually worked across all phones. It was on feature phones as well as smartphones. What's that yeah, it oh, was I on Nokia. You know. 3G or I can't I've forgotten that, that actually. You're right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've forgotten that. The Nokia feature phone, which was becoming sort of smartphone-like, yeah. but they missed out on that game. Um, that was the Symbian, the Symbian OS. Symbian, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Mm. So, and WhatsApp's strategy from day one was to be cross-platform. They were agnostic. They wanted to work on all platforms. I, I think they may have even been on BlackBerry. I can't remember, but. They had a great product with a good strategy and it was cross-platform and smartphones came along and they just, they won the game mm. and Mixit arguably lost the lead they'd built through mm. their early dominance. And, and BBM wasn't cross-platform. Well, that was the mistake of BlackBerry. They thought it was all about devices. In mm. the end, you know, we've, the lesson was learned that, uh, you know, if they'd adapted BBM to be multi-platform in, at, in the earlier days, they could have potentially... One, you know, done what WhatsApp's done, but mm. they were f- totally focused on selling devices, so yeah. Yeah. they missed out. Um, and, and they did take it cross, cross-platform eventually, but it was too well, late. Oh, it was much too late, much too late, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So to disrupt WhatsApp in any market, it, no one has ever disrupted WhatsApp where they have network at, mm. uh, effect dominance. Do you think that might happen at some point? Well, I'm happy to say we are, I believe, the first to have any kind of serious disruption yeah or take market share from WhatsApp anywhere in the world. Okay. And what it boils down to is data free, which is why I'll often describe Moya app as uh, like WhatsApp, but data free. So part of the research that led to Moya app was the realization, as I said earlier, most South Africans have experienced having no data at periods in their life and ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ask them, well, what do you miss the most when you have no data? And we asked, we said messaging, search, social, you know, categories. Mm-hmm. 
messaging easily is the thing you can't live without. And I'm sure you've had moments where you don't have data, or we've, many of us have experienced sure. that. What can you not do without? It's texting. Mm. It's amazing, actually. It's a text message. It's small data. <laughs> I just need to be able to communicate to say, I'm running late, I can't come to work, there's a yeah. strike, where are you? Please pick me up, I love you. And you it's know? so critical for, 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 for people who are reliant on odd jobs and yeah. you know, a painter who, exactly. who needs work, he has to have that, that connection. Or to, she, you know. Or she, to, yeah, get, to, to yeah. get access to, to work opportunities. Yeah, I mean, try live without texting. Uh, you can live without video consumption and news and whatever, but it's really difficult to live mm. without messaging. And the... It's not the Achilles heel, but the thing you, about WhatsApp is it's not data free. Mm -hmm. You have to have a data bundle. So when you run out of your data bundle, you are off. Mm -hmm. And people know it. I can't send you a message. I get one tick instead of two because mm -hmm. they're not even, oh, Duncan's run out of data again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and vice versa. Well, it's even worse for you because you're just, you're just out altogether. Mm -hmm. um, so really we thought, well, there's the opportunity to have a value proposition that WhatsApp doesn't have, but it's critically important to be as good as WhatsApp or close to it. It's not a crappy text uh, messaging experience. You have to be in the game of, you, you know, up to scratch from a user experience and functionality point of view, then data free is icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. But if the cake's no good, doesn't matter what data free does. So um, we've always been focused on having a messaging platform that, is close to WhatsApp, it's, but we're not winning the game or having any success because we're better than WhatsApp. You know, most of the other messaging apps we know about today, like Signal, Telegram, Facebook Messenger maybe, you still have to have data. So mm. it's a features functions competition. Yeah. What can you do on Telegram you can't do on WhatsApp? Well, you can have groups of five, 10,000 people talking about whatever the subject is, Bitcoin or something. <laughs> There's the point of difference for uh, Telegram, but it's not used for day-to-day -day chatting. It's used yep. for that purpose, but people don't send messages to each other on Telegram. So the point of difference for Moya app is data-free, clear and simple, plus all the other services that you don't get in WhatsApp, which is the WeChat model. So there's two points of difference. I can text data-free, and I can do all these other things that I can't do in WhatsApp. That's the proposition, and it's working because mm -hmm. we've grown virally with people telling each other this is yeah. a great app, and you just have to read the reviews on the app listing, mm -hmm. and you'll get the idea. Well, let's talk about WeChat for a moment because they did try and break into this market, and they they had some formidable power behind them. They came in with Nasdaq, they spent a fortune on marketing, yet they still failed. Um, why is that? I mean, here comes the super app into the South African market, a lot of noise generated, a lot of marketing buzz, but South Africans just didn't use it. Well. I I mean, I wasn't quite living here at the time. I was beginning to visit. Um, I've been in South Africa for the last four and a half, nearly five years. So I just missed that WeChat sort of... Right. Um, and as you said, they had formidable backing and... Um, they put a lot know, of investment into uh, it. <laughs> hundreds of millions of rand, so <laughs> is my understanding. Right. But at the end of the day, the value proposition wasn't clear enough to mm -hmm. the end user. So we're all... People were chatting away on WhatsApp and there's this WeChat thing Half of it looked Chinese from what I saw, so it <laughs> seemed a bit weird. Um, I could chat on it, but no one was on it, so I'll just keep chatting on WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. They sort of try to make a go of their wallet thing, WeChat Pay, but it was really just a bank account. You had to, you know, with Standard Bank, you had to go yeah. through all the normal bank rigmarole. Right. And 
if you try to access content in WeChat, the vast majority of it was the same Chinese content you have in China, mm. and it was pretty difficult to find anything of any interest. Mm. I know they got a few content sponsors, you know, Media 24 or News 24 was there and a few others, but it wasn't enough. So I think people looked at it and said, mm, point of difference isn't clear, we're happy with WhatsApp and whatever mm. else. And you know, I even met, um, when I was working here, a guy, in a you know, tech guy who was at university at the time, WeChat was around, and anecdotally he told me, he said, yeah, WeChat came and said to everyone, all the students, you can have a free coffee every day for a month. So they all installed it, got their free coffee, and then uninstalled it. And <laughs> I seriously think any app or digital proposition that buys its audience mm -hmm. is almost killing, shooting itself in the foot from day one because you're not you're not selling the value of what you offer, you're bribing people to come and get yeah. it. And there are... And that sends a message in itself to Yeah, that. I mean, there's a few apps in the market here, which I won't name right now, but are doing exactly that. And mm -hmm. sure, you get an initial surge of downloads or whatever, but people are getting it because they can get a gig of data data-free, yeah. or, or not data-free, a gig of data for a rand or something. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've just undermined the value you're trying to bring because what you've sold is... You're, what's the word, bribing, it's a mm. financial incentive and you're not allowing the app to speak for itself. So mm -hmm. we've never done that and won't do it because the value of what we offer speaks for itself and if it doesn't, it wouldn't have grown through word of mouth. Mm. So let's talk a bit about um, the super app component of, of Moya app. You, uh, you've, me you've mentioned content and, and services. What, what sort of content is on there and how do you decide what goes on? Is it is it purely a case of someone coming to you and saying, we'd like to be on here and we're going to pay to be on here? How do you decide? Well, we decided in the first instance because you've got to put some content there to sure. attract the audience and value and so on. Um, our orientation of, first of all, because we're paying the data cost, we are acutely, and I multiply that by 10, focused on data efficiency. Mm -hmm. We don't just slap any content in there and let the data bill go nuts. Right. We f put a tremendous focus on uh, content that's efficient in data use, or we have some of our own tech that will take news, for example, and save 99% of the data cost of reading the same news on a website, we can deliver it in Moya for 1% of the data cost. Mm -hmm. And I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. um, so we can provide a lot of content at scale, but keeping that data cost very tightly under control. Do you use your own compression algorithms and... You name it. Mm. We've, we've thought, I can't, uh, any, you know, I've met tech guy, people here who say, yeah, I know about how to make mobile content data efficient. I say, you don't even, you know, you're just, <laughs> you're just starting. Like we've gone to the nth degree and thought about every step along the way. So, I mean, I could, that's a whole tech discussion that's sure. not appropriate right now, but... Um, but having built the audience, we have businesses now who pay to have their content in, in Moya app. So there's one of the revenue streams. Mm -hmm. We have the, through our underlying technology, we can take any website, any website, mm -hmm. and put it into Moya app data-free in about 15 minutes. Wow. And we don't need to work with a website. We just literally can take it in, put it in, establish a data-free connection to that website, and it's live in Moya mm -hmm. app. So, as an example, we have the whole of the ShopRite website in Moya app, data-free. Mm -hmm. 
Now, users don't have to go searching around the internet for ShopRite or wait to see an ad on some social media platform and then pay their own data to click and go and look at ShopRite. It's in my app. The super app model is a bit more like a, a shopping mall. You know, mm. you go to where the people are rather than try and get them to come to you. So by putting ShopRite in Moya app, there are, you know, three or four million eyeballs every day in Moya app who see it and go, great, I can go and look at the ShopRite website and check out the deals for this week and plan mm. my shopping mm. or sign up for the loyalty program. So, you know, ShopRite also, I'm just using them as a case study, spend money marketing on, you know, typically Google, Facebook advertising platforms to find people and say, come click and visit our website at the data cost of the user, let alone the friction of, I don't want to click on anything right mm -hmm. now, I'm happy where I am. By having it in my app, they get immediate engagement with hundreds of thousands of users a month on the website and they pay the data cost. Mm -hmm. um, it's really simple. Um, so we earn revenue because publishers like or, or companies like what uh, Shoprite want to be in Moya app because the audience is there, yeah. and it's very simple. All they've got to do is say yes, please, and we do it. Right. <laughs> There's no technical complexity to it. Mm. Um, so we've had several have and had several businesses like that who say, put my website in Moya app, please, because I get the audience. I don't have to buy the audience through online advertising yeah. and not only do they get audience on their website, we're a chat a, a messaging platform so they can engage their, their audience through messaging. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Duncan, for signing up or filling in the thing or registering, and I'll be messaging you through our business API you know, with a chatbot, mm -hmm. welcoming you to the, to the engagement you've just uh, had with me on, a, on my website. And I could put ads in there. And of course, we have Moya Pay if you then want to transact with, with me or I forget yeah. the case I was talking about, but it's a, that's the power of a super app. And WeChat does this at scale in China. You reach people, they engage with your content, you can have a whole messaging experience with them and you can transact with them whether they're paying you or you're paying them all in the one place, except in the case of Moya app, it's data free for the end user. Mm -hmm. So, so tell us a bit about this mobile wallet that you've built. It's it's more it's pronounced Moya Paid, is it? Is that correct? Um, Moya Pay. There's no D on the end. Oh, the D's gone. D's gone. A, Long there used time. Used to ago. be a D. There used to be a oh, D. Okay. Moya it, Pay. Um, it got complicated because people would say Moya Pay D. What does that D mean? So we just took ah, it off. right. It's Moya Pay. Moya Pay. Okay. Yeah. So so you've built this into into the Moya app. Um, what does it do exactly? Well, it's a f probably the most full fledged, uh, rich featured mobile wallet store of value and payments platform in South Africa today. Okay. So, you know, there are other sort of fintech plays around, but they tend to be isolated, you know, more limited to certain functionality for whoever owns them or whatever. So Moya Pay is a store of money value. So you can have money paid into it through bank EFT, through employers paying you. You can deposit cash in various ways. You can buy... Uh, you know, vouchers, vast vouchers to use to fund your account. So there are multiple ways to get money into Moya Pay. Then it's a store of value in terms of my money. Mm -hmm. How much money can you put in there? As much as you like. Okay. Yeah. No limitations in terms of the regulatory side of things. Basically not to put in the regulations that govern Moya yeah. Pay because it is completely compliant with cyber regulations and, and uh, compliance requirements. Yeah there are caps on how much you can spend out into the financial system. 
So I could deposit a million rand in my Moyapay account mm. and happily send you a million rand or any number, okay. <laughs> a big number, no problem. And you can send it to whoever and it can stay in the ecosystem. But when the money flows out to the formal financial system, be that a cash withdrawal, a payment in mm -hmm. a store or some other thing, there are limits imposed under the regulatory framework as to how much can flow back into the financial system. But it's a large number for anyone with a South African ID. So mm -hmm. in terms of the majority of the population, it's, it's not a limit that's... Right. You'll ever reach. Uh, you'll ever reach mm -hmm. or unlikely. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason there are limits and, you know, monitoring for money laundering and things is to, uh, you know, obviously put, keep a lid on illegal... Um, illegal, inappropriate use of some sure. platform like Moyapay. If it was drug money or illicit right. money flowing around, there would be issues. But uh, so that's why there are constraints on going back into the formal financial system. But for the average person in South Africa, it's, it's a meaningless limit. You right. can live your life on it. So you can get a prepaid MasterCard linked to your Moyapay account. Um, so you can fund that MasterCard. It's prepaid balance, so you can spend it anywhere MasterCard's accepted in South Africa. Which you get a physical card. A physical card, mm -hmm. so I have one in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I live on Moyapay in South Africa. I don't have a bank account, actually. So I can be paid money into Moyapay. I can fund my MasterCard for all my day-to-day -day transactions and coffee or supermarket shopping, whatever it may be. I can... Uh, send an EFT from Moyapay so I can pay my rent or you know, make a payment to someone in any bank account in South Africa. Do you use cash at all? I mean, occasionally I'll use my MasterCard to take cash out of any ATM right. or I can go to Shop, ShopRite Checkers and take cash out for day-to-day -day cash needs. So, okay. you know, cash is still... You still need it occasionally. Still need it here, especially for... Paying a car guard. Exactly, exactly. Um, I was recently back in Australia post-COVID and it was very noticeable there that hardly anyone's using cash these days. They're yeah. all tapping their phones on yeah. POS machines and that works well in, in a market like Australia and, and many other countries, but um, that's you know uh, not adopted at any scale here yet, partly because it's still a bigger cash, big cash economy here and partly because banking is so expensive in South Africa. I was shocked Yeah, um, coming from... Outside South Africa, how expensive it is to have a bank account here. Could a solution like Moya Pay, though, get more and more people off the, out of the cash ecosystem? That's absolutely our goal. So mm -hmm. we what's see... The, what's the re where does the resistance come in for, for people using an app like Moya Pay trust. instead of cash? Is it, a, is it a trust issue? I think day one, it's, tr it's trust. You know, it's so, it's so clear to me, and I think people in business and industry and tech kind of forget about this sometimes, mm -hmm. that... Uh, trust is hugely, hugely important. When you are earning a modest income, which might be a wage, it might be a daily hustle and sort of variable income, where your money is, if it's in a digital form, you know, banks or whatever, mm -hmm. you have to have absolute trust in the place or the entity or the enterprise that's offering that service because it's your livelihood, mm -hmm. it's, your, it's your sustenance. You can't afford to lose it. So unless I trust you as a banking or any other type of institution, implicitly, I'm not. I'm going to be careful about where I put. My, I'd rather give it to my Gogo to look right. after than put it there in is case. That, is that because South Africans have seen bank fees eating away at their savings, and you know they put your your salary gets deposited, your meager salary often gets deposited in a bank account, and if you leave it there for very long, the bank fees start to erode it. 
So I think bank fees are a big issue for most people here. Yeah. As I said, I was, I'm shocked at how expensive banking is, and I kind of understand why, but for people on lower incomes, it's frighteningly expensive. Monthly account charges, transaction charges, fees for anything you want to do or think about, getting a statement you have to pay. Um, so, you know, actually there's high trust here in the established formal banking system. I mean, the banking system in South Africa is first world, it's well-regulated, it's safe. Mm. Um, and the leading banks, Capitec, obviously, in terms of mainstream market and all the other brands, Standard Bank, Nedbank, FNB, are trusted. There's no... You see them, you can touch them, you know where they are, they've been around a long time. People here would trust a Capitec for sure. And I'll just use Capitec as an example, but it applies to them sure. all. There's no doubt your money is safe in Cap Capitec insofar as life experience to this point in time. Mm. What The concern is that there's a cost to it. If I want to get my money out, I'm paying for it. I mean, the business model of a bank really is give me your money, I'll look after it, it's safe, but I'm mm. going to charge you every time you want it back. Mm -hmm. It somehow doesn't make... Um, so cash is seen as a, as a safer bet. If you don't want your, the value of your money to erode, take it out of the bank, put it in cash in your Well, wallet. you know, the other part of the banking industry is debit orders, which are a sort of necessity of life, but right. also an evilness uh, ad, aspect of life, sure. you know. Uh, we were talking to a major university here recently who kind of approached us and said they've got an issue because they pay ad hoc expenses, disbursements, stipends, whatever, to the student population who have said very loudly and clearly to the university, do not put the money in our bank accounts mm. because the minute it goes in, if there's any outstanding debit order, it disappears. Mm. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> pay me some other way, not to my bank account. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of gouging in the debit order industry here. I mean, there's the legit side and there's a whole lot of very murky practices about, you know, uh, draining accounts of money. And a lot of people here don't want you to pay them into the bank account because there's maybe an outstanding debit order and they won't receive full value because that gets it first. Mm. Um, and of course, there's a cost associated with that. I mean, it's, pricing's got better, but if I want to spend my money, I've got to pay. So, you know, one of my colleagues who grew up in Soweto said the analogy was that you walk into an engine garage and you buy a 10 rand stick of gum or something and when you put 10 rand on the table, the deal's finished, done, mm. exchange of value, walk out, finished. If you think about paying with your card or some electronic means, it's not 10 rand anymore in your mind anyway, it's 11 rand or there's an extra fee associated with paying mm -hmm. electronically. No thanks, I'll just pay my 10 rand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, that's and it's hard to change that mindset, even if the yeah. fee disappears. Well, there's still an account charge as well. You know, so mm -hmm. um, a lot of people. South Africa doesn't have. South Africa is well banked, so there's not an unbanked problem in South Africa. It's an underbanked country mm -hmm. because there's not enough use of banking rails because fees are onerous for yep. a lot of people here. Yep. Um, yep. The contrast in China, just using it as a benchmark out there. Right. You know, I read a Wall Street Journal article last year that was pointing out. 69% of all transactions, financial transactions in China today are done with mobile wallets. And most of that's WeChat. Well, WeChat Pay, Alipay. 26% or 24% is cash and 6 or 7% is cards. Mm -hmm. why, do, why is everyone using this mobile wallet? Because it's cheap as chips. Mm -hmm. Merchant fees are 0.1% or there's a 0.1% transaction fee. Like, who cares about it? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, um, 
and it's convenient and it's QR code based. You don't need POS machines and connections and mm. all the rigmarole and rents on those machines and 3% merchant fees or whatever they are. It's just scan, pay, scan, pay, scan, pay. Yeah. It's ubiquitous there for small and large transactions because the pricing's right. Everyone has it, massive network effect. It's convenient, you know, smartphones or whatever. I don't, it's better than cash. Mm -hmm. That's the opportunity in South Africa, I believe. But transitioning from what it, how things work today to that is not just, oh, this is a good idea, let's do it, everyone. You have to build distribution, traction, you have to build trust in a platform. People need to see the value and convenience of using it. It can't be expensive or can't be the same pricing as the banking system as we know today. And that I'm sure that's going to happen one day in South Africa. It's just a question of who and which one's going to bring the right product to market to start building that mm. uh, that value. And, you know, of course, M-Pesa's done it in Kenya. Yeah. And there are other models around the world. It's just never been the right product here for this market with the right price point. So the opportunity is wide open, I think. And really have, that's you, have you looked at all at what Bankserve Africa is doing? Uh, we had Jan Polbau, their CEO, in here a couple of weeks ago. Fascinating discussion about PayShop, which is this new uh, uh, payments uh, enablement platform that they, they're building. Uh, have you had a look at that at all? Are you excited about what they're doing? I think it's, it's a, you know, it's been a fun, that idea of instant payments through the banking system as, you know, as, as, it, as it, we know it today has been a phenomenal success in India and Brazil or two markets mm. that come to mm. mind because it really is instant payment um, and it's to a mobile number. Mm. What that concept is, is I can say, I'll pay you right now, Duncan, one rand or 10 rand, just give me your number. I don't need account details and EFT and all the rest of it. I'll just send it to your number. Makes it almost frictionless. Completely frictionless. It's instant. There's no like wait 24 hours for it. Yeah. And it's retrievable by you in your bank account or a car. You know, there's various ways you can access that. You can even go to, it's, you know, today we have e-wallet transfers or whatever brand name. You have to go to an ATM, you can get the money out. But there's no doubt this concept, if implemented well, will have huge impact here and everyone will then work into it. So mm -hmm. the opportunity for MoyaPay is to plug into that um, system as it emerges or when it emerges because there's still value in MoyaPay, which is not just money transfer, but I can buy airtime, other value-add service products, prepaid electricity, engage with and a growing number of merchants on the platform, you know, QR code pay, you know, all mm. kinds of things. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what banks have bring to market. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm experience has taught me here to be a little bit cynical about just quite when that will happen because it's a massive um, project that's been is is underway yeah. with complex integrations and testing and all kinds of things associated with it. And it's looking good, but, you know, the jury's still a bit out as to exactly when it will become available at scale in, in a ubiquitous sense here and bring it on, I say. Mm -hmm. But we can't sit around waiting for it right. right now. Right, right. So lots of potential, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's a very, you know, it's, it's, it will be a very good thing for South Africa in terms of its economic impact and value right. and all kinds of good things. So um, bring it on for sure, as fast as you can, but it's complex.
Before we wrap, I wanted to just ask a little bit about crypto because I, I think you've been experimenting with Bitcoin, possibly other cryptocurrencies on your platform. What have you been doing there? Um, is this just for the fun of it or do you see this as being potentially a serious component of your service? Well, first of all, as a platform, we our whole model is based on partnerships and working with uh, multiple service providers, of various sorts to who want to see value in the platform to engage our audience and have the basic tools to engage and transact. So converse, access content and transact. So we most definitely are not trying to be, be all things ourselves. So we work already with a variety of partners and a growing number who will bring various products and services to Moya app. And there's a huge roadmap in, or potential in front of that from local markets and service providers to national, you name it. So today we have a partner who's based in Cape Town who've brought their service into Moya app. Of course, it's data free and that's to buy and sell a small selection of crypto, including Bitcoin mm -hmm. with lightning network transfer. So you can buy and sell uh, Bitcoin within minutes on Moya app. It's data free and you can pay or be paid uh, using Moya Pay. So if you're buying or selling, the funds will flow th through your Moya Pay account. So we're not doing it, but a partner sees okay. value in doing it. So, um, you know, one of the biggest crypto exchanges in South Africa, without naming names, will soon be available in Moya app as okay. well. Um, so big guys versus as well as the small guys. Um, you know, and we know there's appetite and demand and interest or has been in the broader South African market for crypto, you know, Bitcoin particularly. Um, so we're not, ar we're not the arbiters of mm. which one and who's right or wrong. If the demand is there and there's a means of transaction and engagement, then, you know, bring these services to the platform, much like Alipay, Ali, well, Alibaba has done in, in China and WeChat. Actually, WeChat as a single app has, I was reading some results, re recently has something like four or five million services in WeChat as a platform that I would like to have tens of thousands of services mm -hmm. in Moya app across everything you can think of in South Africa that provides value to businesses and the population of South Africa to engage in. And crypto is just one of them. One so of them. Do, you, do you see yourself developing your own crypto wallet at some point? No. And no, it's not, a, that's not our it's not game. It's business. not a core competency. There are people who specialize in that, bring them into the platform. Right. That's a platform model. It's not to do it all ourselves. It's to partner with people. I mean, as a personal conviction, the only crypto I think that has any merit, value, and uh, longevity is Bitcoin, just as a personal okay. opinion. But that's not an opinion I reflect in my app. But sure. I, I think Bitcoin is particularly exciting. So. Okay, okay, interesting. Before I let you go, I'm going to circle this conversation all the way back to Elon Musk. We chatted about yeah. him briefly at the beginning. Now he's uh, in the process of... Um, Reluctantly, as he was buying Twitter, um, and uh, he's been making some noises about again about building a super app, and that this will fast track his plans to build X, his uh, his so-called uh, super app. And I believe he owns the URL X X dot com. I think he bought it back because it was one of the URLs in the early PayPal days. Or yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Must be worth an absolute fortune today. <laughs> um, what do you think of what he's doing and what he's saying right now? Does Twitter have the potential to become a super app? Uh, you know, you're in the space. You're building a super app yourself. Um, you're probably ahead of what Elon's trying to do. Um, what, what are your views on what he's talking about, what he's, what he's saying well, right now? First of all, never underestimate Elon Musk. Sure. <laughs> you know, say it over and over again to remind. So, um, you know, I think you can look at the Twitter acquisition from various lenses. I mean, the, 
know, he seemed to try and get out of it and get into it and get out. And mm. um, it looks like it will go ahead. Um, I think he's highly likely to bring some very innovative or unique thinking to what to do with Twitter as a platform. So it's not just about improving Twitter, whatever that means, or tweaking it. Mm. You know, when I heard about the sort of super app, I thought, okay, this is making sense now because maybe there is an opportunity. Of course, especially in the US market, what you're basically, if you go with that strategy, you're then trying to disrupt very well-established other platforms mm. for messaging or chat or social media or whatever it is. So that's not just, uh, oh, I'm going to do it in Twitter and everyone's going to come to it. Mm. So you've got to have a value proposition that people see value in. But it's a really intriguing idea that for the first time, a major player in the US market in particular is is actually thinking about the super app model or adapting it to the US market and, and obviously global beyond that properly. Mm -hmm. no, one's, no one's even really closely tried in America, not even close. They talk about it, dabble around it, Silicon Valley's avoided it or mm. never got serious about it, even though they talk about it. This might just be a really interesting play and it might look like a very expensive acquisition down the track. It might look like genius. I don't know, but I'm going to watch with interest. Mm. But don't bet against him is what you're saying. Well, I think, I just think the guy's phenomenal. He's one mm. of the few characters <laughs> we've known in the industry, Steve Jobs and others, who've really changed the world, and he's already changed it in multiple ways. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got plenty of years left in him and, and the wealth to really have a proper go at it. So, I th you know, take my hat off to him for even thinking about it and then actually doing it or trying it. Gawa Lentel is the founder of Moya App and Data Free. Thank you so much for a fascinating discussion. My pleasure. Thank you, Duncan.